Well, it's a tremendous joy for us to have uh, one of our veteran missionaries home from the field for a couple of months, and he's made special uh, efforts to be here with us tonight. And we so appreciate Brother Young and the great work he's doing uh, in Russia. And it's an inspiration uh, for us. Um, now, um, as you know, we, we try to get all our mission missionaries all uh, adopted. And we have 67 missionaries. There's just three left that have not been adopted, and they're in Canada. There's three missionaries over there. This Sunday is going to be Adoption Sunday. We're going to hand out all the booklets. But as uh, uh, someone has, uh, some family has adopted the Youngs. Is that family here tonight? Anyone here tonight has adopted the Youngs? All right, so they're not here tonight. But uh, brother, you have a, a new adoption family. Yeah, and they'll be getting in touch with you and praying for you every day for the next uh, 12 months. And uh, they'll send you an email once every three months and uh, ask if you have a special prayer request, things like that. It's very important that we remember that the whole world is the mission field, and that includes Canada. This is uh, our little piece of uh, the pie right here in Surrey, and uh, we're the missionaries here, and we're trying to uh, reach all of the Surreyites with the gospel. Amen. Well, uh, let's get ready. Have our Bibles ready. Make sure your cell phone's on silent, please. And let's listen with all our hearts. Brother Young, if you would come and preach the word to us now. God bless you, brother. Thank you. It's a great blessing to be with you today. And... Um, I'm going to preach today, and I know there's a Bible college here, and I know your pastor is probably one of the most studied men in the pulpit that I've ever met. And I'm going to preach a really simple message today. I'm going to preach from a passage that all of you know. I'd be surprised to find out there was someone here who doesn't know it by heart. It's probably the first verse you ever heard. But sometimes I fear that we can forget it. And maybe if we don't forget it, at least it, it's not absolutely changed our lives like it should. If you could with me, please turn your Bibles to John chapter 3 and verse 16. We're going to read six words. Six words that I believe that if you will open your heart today, they can change your life. They can change why you do what you do. They can change what you love. The Bible says in John chapter 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I pray, Lord, now that you would, um, 
that you would do a miracle in our hearts. I pray, Father, that as a result of what is shared today, Father, I pray, Lord, that we would love not what most people love, but we would love what you love. I pray, Lord, that we would care about what you care about. And I pray that we would sacrifice for what you sacrificed for. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would do some great things in our heart today. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, like I said, this verse here is probably, I mean, I don't, I don't think I can remember the first verse I ever heard. But the likelihood that this is it is pretty high. Many times when we share the gospel with somebody, this is the first verse we turn to. Because we want to tell them that God loves them, and we go to this verse to do it. So I want us to analyze this verse, because it's one of the most important verses in the Bible. And, uh, and, we, can, and we can try to, uh, you know... Uh, stretch some text and try to see missions in them, but I think we can just go straight to, uh, straight to the most missionary verse there is in the Bible and preach it. When we look at this verse, I want us to realize something. Okay, I want us to realize something. The most famous verse in the Bible doesn't start with you, and it doesn't start with me. There is a brand of Christianity out there that is very, very self-focused. Guys write books, and, and, and like a book titled, How to Have Your Best Life Now. What does that have to do with God? I mean, just the title of that book says, Everything in my life is about me. But in the Bible, the Bible's not all about you. And the Bible's not all about me. It's all about God. And that might be a simple thought today. But lots of people are missing very simple thoughts. That book sold millions and millions of copies. When we come into contact with God, it ought to change us. When, when Isaiah came into contact with God, he said, here am I, Lord, send me. When Paul came into contact with God, he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? As we look at this verse, and we think about it like we thought about it the very first time we heard it, I'd like us to go back to that time. When we, when we were maybe a kid, or maybe just a few years ago when we got saved, I'd like us to look back at this verse through new eyes. To the eyes of someone seeing it for the first time. The Bible says here, for God. Before I ever read this verse, before I ever came into contact with John 3.16, I knew some things about God. I didn't know God completely. I definitely didn't know Him as my Savior. But I did know some things about who God had to be. From general revelation, in other words, the revelation through the creation that God gave us, what God revealed about himself through the creation to every man on the planet without ever having even seen a Bible. I knew some things about God that are very important and sometimes we can forget. 
Now, when I am being introduced to the gospel and someone's trying to witness to me, and he uses the verse and says, for God, who am I expecting? Who do I know has to be there? Well, well, he has to be the creator. And if he's going to be the creator, then he has to exist outside of space and time. And if he, is outside, if he exists outside of space and time, then he's going to have a quality that's going to be different than everything I see. Everything I see in the world changes. It has a beginning and it has an ending. Even things that look like they'll never change, like mountains or something like that, they had a beginning and they will have an ending. But God doesn't have a beginning and he doesn't have an ending. And, and, and things about, what do we know about things that have a beginning and have an ending? By, by definition, they change. Things in this world change, but God never changes. He never changes. He is eternal in the sense that he never changes, in the sense that he has always been and always will be. When we come back to, uh, to the West, and we come back to America, and we come back to, to, to Canada, we notice that things, things change. We go to, uh, we, we fly from Moscow to Los Angeles, and as we fly from Moscow to Los Angeles, the plane ride's about 12 and a half hours long. That's a long time to spend in one seat. Um, I don't suggest you try it. It's, uh, it's not a lot of fun. But anyways, I, I praise the Lord that we, you know, not, I'm not riding a steamboat back in three months on the ocean or something like that. But anyway, so, so we come back and uh, we want to get freshened up. You know, we, <laughs> we don't look that fresh. So anyways, we usually go into uh, the restroom and we'll, uh, you know, get our toothbrushes out and, you know, brush our hair and try to look presentable a little bit. And we'll wash our hands and so on and so forth. And then we go to whatever device you guys have thought up next to dry your hands. <laughs> and uh, we'll go over there, and um, it's always new. It's always something I don't even know how to work. It's always something like, okay, what is this? And my sons always come up to me because they don't know how to work it. And they always, okay, Dad, so what do we do? <laughs> um, sometimes, one time it was uh, that one, and it was pretty simple. You just kind of press the button. But then... It blows with the force of a thousand winds and creates skin divots on your hand and, and blows with enough force to probably lift the restroom off the ground if it wasn't connected to concrete. That was a good one. Um, then there's that one where, uh, oh, uh, the one where, where you have to very lightly pull the paper towel out of the dispenser because if you pull too hard and it breaks before it gets before the next one gets out, then it rolls back up in itself and you don't get no more. That, that was a great invention right there. Then, uh, uh, what, oh yeah, and then there's the ones where you have to put your hands underneath the thing and you just rub them together and it never works. <laughs> <laughs> you rub it over here, you rub them 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 over here, you walk away and, and, and wind automatically after you leave. And then you go back and you, and, you, and you try to rub, and then it blows like one second of precious wind on your hands. It's and turns off and you're like, okay, where did I rub correctly? Where was that? <clears throat> they used to have that one where, uh, um, where, the, where the thing was actually a towel. It's like a physical towel and you would roll it on the side. And when you rolled it on the side, it went down like two centimeters. 
like the whole rest of the dirty towel is still there and the thing only went down two centimeters and it doesn't go anymore? Uh, <laughs> when we encounter that one, I just uh, tell my son Austin, I say, uh, um, uh, wipe your hands on your pants and don't tell your mom, okay? Because <laughs> that thing's gross. We're not touching that. <sighs> things change. People change. Uh, churches Many times, sometimes, I'm so glad this church hasn't changed, but sometimes churches change. But God never changes. He never changes. And, and, and the deal is this, that has huge ramifications for the world. The way you came to know God here in, in, in Surrey, British Columbia, is the same way that people have to know him in Tibet, where they have the prayer wheels and they think that's pleasing him. It's the same way that people have to come to God in Kazan, Russia, and where they have a beautiful white mosque with, with a tile roof that's a turquoise tile and, and surrounded by a, a great big fence. This is the, there's lots of Kremlins, actually, in, in Russia. Lots of old towns have them. It's not just the one in, in Moscow. But even in, in Muslim cities, they have them. But see, God doesn't change from Surrey, British Columbia, to the rest of the world. God is the same. And his gospel is the same. In the same way that you came to know God as your Savior, Jesus Christ, the same way you came to know him, everybody in the world, if they're going to be saved, have to come to know him the same way. There's only one way to approach God, and that's through his Son. Because God never changes. The next thing that I know about God, and, uh, and, and this is before I ever even open up. I mean, I could, I could read Bible verses to you if you want me to. The Bible says, uh, Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. James chapter 1, verse 16, do not err, my beloved brethren. Uh, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and, and, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variables, neither shadow of turning. The Bible says very clearly that God never changes. But that's who I was expecting. That's who he's got to be because he's eternal. Next, something I know about God that has to be before I even read John 3.16, as I'm expecting when it says, for God, who do, I, do, who, do, who do I know that God has to be? I know that if God exists, He is in charge. I know this without even, because if He exists, and if He created everything, it's His. If He created me, I'm His. And I don't just get to live my life any old way I want to. There's a bumper sticker in, uh, in, uh, in Samara, and it's in English. Samara is a city in Russia that we minister in. And uh, it's in English, and so my kids always notice it. And it says this. It says, my life, my rules. My life, my rules. If you are a cosmic mistake, if you are just the... Um, outpouring of absolute chaos that out of nowhere formed order. Then I guess that's your life. But if you just do simple math, 
You're going you're gonna to realize, I, the, the, the population there in Russia is very, very educated. I don't know what the statistics here on Canada, I assume pretty high, but, um, but in Russia, that's very high. I know the statistics in America, 50% of, um, of, of Americans start college. Uh, 32% of Americans finish college. So 32% have a college uh, uh, degree. In Russia, 77% of the population has a college degree. I don't know if that's a measure of intelligence. I don't really think so. But I know it's a measure of people thinking they're smart. That I'm positive of. So, so anyways, so oftentimes when I witness to people, uh, and by the way, I graduated from college. <laughs> I graduated from two colleges. And I spent nine years in college. So I've, I've been to college. But anyways. Um, Sorry, I lost my train of thought for a sec, but it will come back. It, it circles around sometimes for a little bit, and then, then I find it. So anyways, sometimes uh, when I'm witnessing to somebody, um, they'll say something like, yeah, I'd really like to believe what you believe. I really think it's quaint and nice and, 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 and you know, but, uh, but, but I, I understand science, and I believe in science. And I'll say, well, do you believe in math? Because if we just look at the probability, just, just let's look at chaos, absolute chaos, a blender of chaos, and then order popping up. Order out of chaos. It would be like as if you took a bunch of ones and zeros, threw them up in the air, and they randomly landed in the exact order that you would need to have the operating system for a Mac computer, all the programs on a Mac computer, and all of the files on a Mac computer. It would be like if you took a bunch of paint and threw it on the wall, and you got the Mona Lisa. Let's, let's examine this just, just for a minute, just for a second. So if, uh, if, if for example, um, a protein, a protein, the smallest protein, it has, uh, has 300 amino acids. But let's say there was a protein that had just 100, okay? Just for the sake of argument, okay? And uh, amino acids, there are 20 different amino acids, okay? There are four different elements that also go into the making of a protein, okay? Oxygen, hydrogen, carbon, and one other. And, uh, and so let's say you have 24 things that have to go in order of 100 to, re to reach 100, and they have to be exactly right in order to, to form a protein. You can do this on your phone. You can, you can add this up on your phone. So what happens, what's the probability that you're going to get the right one in the first spot? The probability is 1 in 24, okay, because there's 24 choices, and the probability is 1 in 24. But for, to, get, to get the right one in the second spot, it's not 1 in 48, you have to times 24 times 24 in order to get how many, uh, what's the odds of getting the first two right out of just throwing them in a, in a random thing. So you times 24 times 24 to get the first spot and to get the second spot, and then you do that for the next 100 spots. If you times 24 times 24, 100 times in a row, you'll get a number like this. It'll be 10 to the 140th power. That's 10 with 140 zeros after it. That number is so gigantic, none of us in this room understand it, okay? But if you Google how many atoms we think there are in the universe, not how many amino acids there are in the universe, mind you, just the number of atoms. That means the number of everything, okay? If you Google that, you will see, Google will answer you, and, and Google will say there is 10 to the 80th power. There's a big problem there. 
That means there's not enough stuff in the universe by randomness to give us even one shot of creating a protein that doesn't even exist because it's so small of 100 amino acids in a row. There is a, pro there is a, there is a protein called Titan, which is 26,000 amino acids in a row. 26,000. You don't want to know what the probability on having 26,000 amino acids fall in a row are. This universe, let, let's, say, let's say we took all of the seconds, all of the seconds that we think have existed, okay? Now, I think the universe is 6,000 years old, but they think it's 13.6 billion years old. Let's take all the seconds and times it by all of the atoms in all of the universe. In other words, give us the maximum chance you still come up with 10 to the 94th because there are only 10 to the 14th power seconds in the entire time frame of the entire universe as we think we know it. You know what that means? That means it's not probable that God exists. It is absolutely necessary that God exists. That's what that means. Okay? So, so check this out. I share this with people. I share a million other things. I didn't even talk about the brain or the human eye or anything else. I'm talking about one little tiny protein that the universe cannot create on its own by random chance. And I show people this. And it's obvious. And they can do the math on their calculator. And they can Google it on their phone. And you know what? People still refuse to accept that God exists. Why? Because they know, the unsaved know this about God. Before they ever read John 3.16, they know that if I admit that God exists, He's in charge, and I'm not. And I don't want to give up my power. I want to pretend I'm in charge still. The Bible says in Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. If God exists, He's in charge. For God so loved. I know who God is, and I know what love is. I have experienced love I have had other people in this world love me. And I have loved other people. I also know what love is not. <laughs> um, it's a long story. Uh, basically, we went to a conference uh, with our mission agency, and they tried to be a blessing to us. We've never been able to go on this conference before because we, we've never been able to afford it, but we saved and saved and saved. And Anyways, we took a trip to Israel. It's not very far away from where we are in Russia there, and we took a trip to Israel. While I was taking a trip to Israel, I thought it would be cool to learn Hebrew. I don't suggest that you all do this. It's hard. <laughs> but anyways, I, I, uh, I, I tried to learn some Hebrew, and mostly I just did tapes and so on and so forth. While I was doing something else, I would listen to language tapes as I was working and, you know, building stuff and driving to places and so on and so forth, waiting in line. So anyways, as I, we were coming up on a trip to Israel, um, I was very excited as I got there to try to speak Hebrew to somebody. I didn't think I was going to be very good, but I wanted to try it out anyways, right? So um, I'm, I'm walking up, and, and some missionaries uh, from, from Israel uh, meet us there, and I try to speak uh, Hebrew with them, but they're, they're from America, and they don't speak any Hebrew. Um, so, and then I, 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 I try to, as, as we go around, you know, like at the hotel and this, this, that place, I try to speak Hebrew to people. And the people who are at the hotel speak English so well 
well, and my Hebrew is so bad, um, that they, you know, it's just, it's just, it just makes no sense to even try to communicate, although I really tried anyways, uh, to, 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 speak, to speak Hebrew. So anyways, I was kind of, you know, uh, you know uh, not excited. I mean, here I tried to learn Hebrew, and everybody here speaks English. So anyways, uh, we went to a place called Masada, which is a, it, um, it's a long explanation. But anyways, uh, at Masada, there is an uh, ancient whole building that has a room in it. And, and they have a, uh, like an exhibit of what it was like for scribes to, uh, to, to, to transfer or to make a copy of the Old Testament. And so you have a Hebrew scribe sitting at this desk, and he is writing out by hand uh, the, the, the Old Testament, the Tanakh in, uh, in, in Hebrew. And... Uh, I thought to myself, great, this guy is trapped in a room, he can't get away, there's no other way out, I'll be able to speak Hebrew to this guy. And so I said, um, I said to him, um, I said, Atakotev yafemeod, which means, uh, you write beautifully. And um, he said, Mashemcha, uh, which means, what is your name? But it sounds exactly like Mashlimcha, which is, what is your piece, or how are you doing and uh, so I thought he asked me how I was doing. So I started telling him about how I was doing, you know. And, and, and so on and so forth. And he said, no, your name, your name. And I said, oh, uh, Shmi Adam, which means, you know, my name is Adam. And uh, he said, Masha uh, Mishtecha, which uh, means, what is your wife's name? And I said, uh, uh, Shma uh, Angela, which means her name is, uh, is, is Angela. And then he wrote on this piece of paper, he wrote in Hebrew, and this is the piece of paper right here, he wrote Adam, and he wrote Angela, and he wrote two cutesy little hearts on this piece of paper. But really, I didn't care about this piece of paper, to tell you the honest truth. I didn't really care about this piece of paper. What I cared about was, I made a friend. I made a friend. I made a friend with whom I can speak Hebrew. And I thought, I'm going to give him my Skype number, and he's going to talk, talk to me, and I'm going to give him my email, and we're going to be best friends from now on. <clears throat> on his desk, which kind of looked like a pulpit, uh, looked a lot like a pulpit. Um, he, was, he was writing on it, and it had a jar right here. And he tapped on the jar after he handed me this. And on the side of the jar, in English, it said, tips. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, I see. Oh, we're not best friends. <laughs> oh, okay, well, all right. Well, I gave him a nice tip or whatever, but so I know what love is not. But I know what love is. When I was four years old, um, I had an insanely difficult uh, stuttering problem. I couldn't speak a sentence without stuttering to save my life. I realize even as I say this right now, everyone is listening to see if I will stutter. I remember the last time I stuttered, I was actually 27. Before that, I think I was maybe 14. But when I was four, I could never speak a complete sentence. My mother um, was worried about me. And uh, so she took me, we lived in North Carolina, so she took me to some experts at the University of North Carolina. And they said, basically, after they had run some tests and and uh, seeing me, they said two things. They said, first thing, he's going to grow up to be a very big kid, which is right. That's exactly right. I did grow up to be a very big guy. But they also said, 
that uh, I was going to have an IQ of about 70. I wasn't going to probably make it through regular school. They said that I should probably just, from the get-go, go into a special ed type of a thing and, um, and, and, and that type of thing. And that's what they said. My mom didn't think that was true. So she, uh, she enrolled me in a regular kindergarten class in uh, Roanoke Park, California, in Lafayette Elementary School. And my kindergarten teacher, her name was Mrs. Stuckey. Mrs. Stuckey had 30 kids to teach how to read. And she heard me try to speak. And she knew that if she was going to have to try to teach me also, that it was probably going to take the time it would take to teach 10 other kids. And she didn't have that time. She was very nice about it. She was very kind. But when I would tell her in my stuttering, stammering, and she'd have to wait two minutes for me to get it out about how I wanted to read. She would uh, hand me some uh, markers and some, and some Crayolas and, and say, uh, Adam, you do this, okay? You do this. You color me something beautiful. And she meant it, and she was kind, and she was, she was nice about it. My mom found out about what had happened because uh, I, I had told her. And um, she wasn't angry or anything like that, but she just said, you know, if, if she doesn't have the time, then I'm going to make the time. And every day for an hour and a half after school, while kids are playing tetherball and, and, and war and kick the can and everything else that we played on my block, my mom took out a book and taught me how to read. I remember going over every word and it being an incredible struggle. I remember I couldn't say what, and every time I wanted to ask a question, which was all the time, the only question I could ask was how, and I wasn't good at that one either. I remember my first grade teacher uh, tried to get me over it. I, you had uh, three balls to play handball with, and if you did good in school or something or, or whatever, you could ask for one of the balls. The red one was too soft, the soccer ball was too hard, the yellow one was just perfect. But the problem was is I couldn't say yellow. It has a double L, and I couldn't say it. I could say, and I couldn't say it. And he would sit there and force me for like five minutes to try to say the word yellow to get the ball. My mom paid for speech lessons for me. She, uh, she, uh, it, they were expensive. The lady who taught me speech lessons, um, I forget her name, but I remember she also had a disability. Oftentimes when people have disabilities, they have a heart for those who have them. And, um, and she couldn't spell. She had, a, she had a learning disability. She couldn't spell at all. And uh, I remember her uh, boyfriend's name was Ken. And my eight-year-old self thought, she probably dates that guy because she can spell his name. <laughs> but I remember for uh, two sessions every week, and we'd go for about three hours, and she would stick headphones in my ear and play music so I couldn't hear myself talk. She would turn off the lights, and I would talk in the dark. 
she would, she would uh, get me to close my eyes, and it just, just a million little different things to try to get me to speak correctly. That all happened because God so loved me. You see, if I was born in about 98% of the rest of the world, I would have never had those opportunities. I would have never learned how to speak. But because God so loved me, when I was uh, four years old, a bus came to our house in North Carolina. It was a church bus. I don't remember what kind of church. I have no idea I was for. I don't remember a lot about it. But a man from the bus invited me to go to church. And so I went to church. I do remember one thing very, very well, although I don't remember the Sunday school teacher, what the person looked like. I, have, I don't recall any of that. But I do remember one craft that we did. Um, it was an empty baby food jar, just this little small one, one serving. And they turned it upside down, and they screwed the lid off, and they put Play-Doh, or I did, they had me put Play-Doh in, in the lid. And then in the Play-Doh, I put a white cross in the Play-Doh. And then I screwed back on the uh, glass jar part, and it was kind of like a Christian snow globe. And I kept that till I was 13 years old. Because God so loved me, he sent that guy on that bus to give me this cross that I didn't even know the meaning of so that I'd have some kind of positive feeling about it in, in the future when somebody else next time came up to me. When I was in uh, University of California at Davis and I was walking through the quad, a guy walked up to me and he asked me, he had a survey, and he said, can I ask you a question, a couple questions? And I said, okay, sure. And he was trying to convince me that there was something called absolute truth. He was trying to convince me that there were right and wrongs uh, for every people and every time, no matter what. And I had been to philosophy classes in, at Davis, and I had, I had learned that, no, well, everyone's, everything's pretty situational. And how can there be really absolute truth? And what is your truth? And what is my truth? And blah, blah, blah. I learned all this in philosophy class. And, uh, and so he's asking me these questions and, and, and basically he says, so you don't believe in uh, right and wrong then? I said, well, no, I, I don't think I do. I think it just all depends. And he, and he said, uh, well, well, what about Hitler? Was he wrong? Was he bad? And I thought to myself, yeah, he was. That guy destroyed my whole world view in like two seconds. And I was mad at him, and I walked away. But God sent that guy to me because God so loved me. I remember hearing the gospel for the first time in the Russian language. And uh, then I went to a uh, church, a fundamental Baptist church in my hometown. I walked by that church thousands of times. It was on my way to school. It was on my way to, 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 to all kinds of things. It was two, two blocks down from my house. And I never walked in there. But then I heard the gospel in Russian, so I got interested in it. So I started going to this church right there. And I remember sitting in the back, just like this. We had the same color pews and everything. I remember sitting in the back, and I remember the church had an invitation. In other words, invited people to come forward to get saved. And I thought, that was exactly what churches ought to be doing. That is a great thing to do. I didn't go forward, but I thought, that was exactly what churches should do. 
I remember after the invitation was over, a guy named Dwayne Graves, who's in heaven now, he came up to me, and he was a college and career guy, and I was about college age, and so he came up to me and he said, uh, my name's Dwayne, what, what's your name? He shook my hand, and I said, my name's Adam. It's nice to meet you. And right out, right from the get-go, right from the, he didn't wait, he, didn't, he just said, hey, Adam, I'd like to ask you a question. If you died today, would you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? And I said, I hope so. And he said, let me tell you how you can know so. And, and Dwayne explained to me exactly, super clearly, the gospel all over again, and it clicked, and I got saved. And that happened because God so loved me. Now, my testimony is not unique. Everyone in this room could testify today and say, I grew up in a Christian home, and my parents tried to teach me the Bible. And I remember my mom or my dad saying, hey, hey, are you, are you, are you positive you're saved? Or you, you know? Or, and and, and you, you bowed your head to accept Christ. Maybe it was at work. And there was, and there was somebody, and there was a Christian. And, and the guy kept inviting you over. And you didn't want to go to his church. You didn't like his church. You thought, I don't want to be a religious guy like that guy is. And, uh, and, 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 so, and, and so, but finally you said yes, and you came, and you heard the word of God, and it changed your life. And that happened because God so loved you. Maybe it was a sister. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a missionary. Maybe it was a, I have, I, I, I don't know. But I know that if you're here today, and you were saved, it is because God so loved you. I'm not the only one in this room who knows what love is. If you're saved today, you know what love is too. But the Bible here doesn't say, for God so loved me, or, or for God so loved you, or for God so loved us. It says, for God so loved the world. I know who God is, I know what love is, and I know what the word world means. I'll be very quick. I don't have a lot of time left, but the Bible, I read a book one time, and it basically said that, uh, that we all have our own little world. It was a book about how to influence people and how to influence societies. And it talked about how the fact that, 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 that trends in society happen oftentimes by word of mouth, and you think that's not a very powerful thing, but actually it can be very, 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 very powerful. And, uh, and what happens is, is that everybody has their own little world, and when somebody from your world, it, it, when this, whatever it is, changes, when they, you know, buy new sneakers, or when they start using a new phone, or when they start, and then, then their world finds out about it, because they see it, because they see that person, they have contact with that person, they love that person, that person loves them, they have conversations, and it, and it changes things. What was interesting to me was the size of people's worlds. The, the, the book estimated that many people have a world. Their world is about maybe sometimes 20 people big. The world is defined as, as people who love you and people you love and you talk with regularly and they would notice if you were gone. Now, Christians, oftentimes their world's a little bit bigger because, you know, you have a church. 
and, 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 and the body of Christ notices when someone's gone and so on and so forth. But a lot of people, their world is about 20 people big. And, and, it, and it said in this book, it said also that, that at, the, at, the, at the largest, at the biggest they get, sometimes people have a world that is 120 people big. And that is actually a really large world for people uh, that you keep in regular contact with who love you and, 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 and you love them and they would notice if you were gone. I have a world. My world is uh, Santa Rosa, California. It's where I grew up. It's where my friends live. It's where the people I love live and the people who love me. It's where most of my memories are, are from. It's a very special place to me, but the deal is this. God's world is much bigger than my world. And the amount of people that God loves is much bigger than the people that I naturally love. But God wants me to love his world like I love my world. He wants me to care about the entire world like he does. <clears throat> There's a person who uh, goes to our church. Her name is Nina. And Nina's um, up there in years a little bit. She got saved later in life. And uh, she... Uh, we go through Bible doctrines just like you guys do in this church. Uh, I don't have a different Bible. I got the same Bible you guys do. And I don't try to, uh, uh, I don't try not to preach the whole counsel of God because I'm worried about um, is everybody going to get it or is it, uh, do I need to, because some people are so new and so on and so forth. I, I do the same thing that you do here, okay? I might be not as good at it as your pastor is, but I try. So we preach through uh, Bible doctrine in our Sunday school class uh, once a year. We'll go through like, uh, you know, maybe we'll combine soteriology and, uh, and uh, harmatiology. That's the study of uh, sin and the study of salvation and uh, maybe anthropology, the study of man. And, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll teach through a series. I won't call it anthropology because that sounds kind of maybe a little dull, but I'll, I'll call it so, so great salvation or I'll, I'll name it something. But basically, we're going through a systematic study of doctrines of the Bible. And sometimes Nina... She hasn't had the biblical background that a lot of you have, so sometimes th these are things are hard for her, okay? Sometimes she doesn't get it right away. Sometimes I have to repeat things over and over and over again. But you know what Nina understands really, really well? She knows what John 3.16 means. And it's changed her life. When she reads the world here, and she hears that God loves it. She thinks that means everybody at her work. She thinks that means everybody she comes in contact with in her neighborhood. She thinks this means um, everybody that she rides the tramvai with and everyone she rides the marshuka with. These are uh, transportation things. And, and everybody who comes into a store that she works at, she thinks that that means everybody she knows. And when she comes into church... She is always talking to me about people she's witnessed to. And always talking to me about, about how maybe she can explain the gospel just a little bit better than this person or that person. And she's always asking me questions. And she's always writing stuff down. Because she's got John 3.16 down. 
I'm afraid some of us who have had way more Bible than Nina has, has forgotten some of the foundational things, and we're going to miss out on some of the blessings that Nina's going to enjoy. Because we have not let John 3.16 change our lives. If God so loved the world, then I've got to love it too. And if I am going to love it, I can't be neutral about it. I've got to do something about it. I'm going to um, spoil the next part of the verse, if you don't already know it. The next part of the verse says, For God so loved the world that he gave. God wants us to participate in our church's missions program, and he wants us to do it as if our lives have been changed. He wants us to do it as if we love what God loves. Not just our world, but his world. Let's have every head bowed.